0: Father God, we do thank you that your grace is enough. God, in every season, every situation, whatever we are up against, your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. So God, as we come around your word, would you surround us with your grace? That your words would be uh, brought out by grace, God, they would be received in grace. And God, that everything we do is done to honor you, we pray. And all God's people said... Just you, just you take your seats when you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad God chose you to sit next to me. And then turn to the person who God obviously didn't choose you to sit next to and uh, just, just look a bit awkward. I want to welcome you into week number four of our series where we're looking at the life of David. Um, And and I hope you've been enjoying this series where we've been looking at different aspects of David's life. So we've looked at David as a shepherd. We've looked at David as a father. Uh, Last week we we looked at David and how he gives us an example of how we are meant to be worshippers. David gives us those words, those methods for worship. And today I want to take a look at, at David as a warrior. Um, and just to give you for your feedback on the notes, by the way, we've done the, the same thing again this morning. So if you've got the technology, uh, you can scan the QR code and you can get the notes uh, direct to your phone or your tablet, whatever you're using. Um, they're also in paper form, or form at the back. They're not a replacement for your Bibles, by the way. I'm just going to let that moment, <laughs> that phrase sink in. They're not a replacement for your Bibles. Bibles are still important. You can't wash your car without water. You can't mow your lawn without a lawn mower. You can't come round the word of God without the word of God. So I just want to encourage you: make sure you've got your Bibles. If you haven't got a Bible, take one of ours. You can have it for free. We'd love to put a Bible in your hand. We just believe the word of God is really important. It is vital for our lives. Uh, Before we get into the message, I want to tell you a story that I heard the other day of three pastors who went away on on a day's fishing trip, and they got into a boat, and they were miles from the shore, and one pastor turned to the other two and said, I really feel this would be a great time to share. This would be a great time to share, you know, our struggles. As pastors, I'd love us to be able to pray for each other and share our biggest struggles and our biggest uh, issues. So, 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 why don't we do that? We're miles from the shore. No one can hear us, no one can see us. We'll just spend this time together. And so, one pastor breaks down and he says, I can't hide it anymore. I've, I've got a problem with gambling. And, and sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and I'll, I'll grab my phone and I'll gamble on my phone in the middle of the night so no one knows. And so they pray over him and they, they speak affirmation into him. And, and the next guy, he's so moved. He said, oh, I, I've got to be honest, I've got a problem with money. Um, I, I, just, I just can't stop spending it. And, and it's got to the point where I'm actually dipping into the offering on a Sunday. And I'm using it to fund my lifestyle. And, and, and he breaks down and they, they pray for him. And they speak words of affirmation over him. The, the guy who came up with this idea said, oh, fantastic. That's really, really great. Should we should we go into shore now? And the other two said, well, aren't you going to share? Oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll, just go into, we'll just go into shore now. And they said, no, we're not going anywhere until you, we've shared, so, so now you can share. And eventually the guy said, listen, I've got a massive problem with gossip, and I can't wait to get to shore. I want to look this morning at David as a warrior, and there's so many examples. You can take your Bibles and you can look at examples of David uh, going into battle, being victorious. I wouldn't be able to do it justice in the next 20 or 25 minutes. So I just want to focus on kind of one or two examples, if I can, where we can learn from from David's example of being a warrior. And I want to start with this premise, because how many of us know actually we're called to be warriors? Maybe one or two of us. Do you know we're called to be in a fight? Every one of us is called to be in a fight. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go and sign up for the armed forces, but the Bible's really specific. It tells us we're in a fight. It tells us there's a war. It tells us there's a battle going on. Joel writes this. Thousands of years ago, he says this. Say to the nations, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack there's a battle going on and we're called to advance there's a battle going on and we're called to go into uh war joel wrote this two and a half thousand years ago about a battle that's not going to take place until our future actually he's talking about when jesus comes again but 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 actually if you're looking at the, the 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 futurology of this it's actually the battle started the battle's raging now it started on the day of Pentecost, we all talk about the end times. You know that the early church, the end times started the day after Pentecost. We've been in the end times for 2,000 years, so we are still in a battle. Paul says this: we are not fighting. So what's he saying? We're actually we're fighting. We're already fighting. There's already a battle going on. But who's it against? It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against evil rulers authorities, mighty powers, evil spirits in heavenly places. There's not a war in the physical, it's a war in the spiritual. There's a war going on for our minds. There's a war going on for our souls. There's there's a war for truth. There's a war, can I say this, for the sanctity of life. There's a war for our marriages. There's a war for our relationships. There's a war for our time. There's a war for our attention. Every day we're in a battle and Paul says this, we've got to fight the good fight. Fight the good, fight for the truth, faith. Do what? Hold tightly to the eternal life God has called you. We are called to fight for truth. We're called to fight for the truth of God's word. We're called to fight for justice. We're called to fight for what is right. We're called to hold tightly to what God has called us to. And I don't know if you know this, but the thing about a lot of war, it's never one battle and it's done. If you, if you stu- I'm, I am no historian, by the way, but if you study the, the Great Wars, World War II, uh, World War I, uh, Vietnam, uh, the, the Falklands, it's never just one big battle. It's always lots of battles going on, sometimes at the same time, and, and some battles are big, some battles are small. And actually, as a, as, a, as, a, as a church, there might not be one big battle, but there might be loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads, and loads of different battles going on all at the same time. Some battles are bigger some battles are smaller but they're going on all the time inside us there are thousands of different battles going on you know when someone cuts you up when you drive in let's be honest there's a battle sometimes that battle doesn't last very long but there's a battle that goes on someone's rude to you there's a battle that goes on you get a flat tire or you run out of petrol suddenly inside you there's a battle You put your washing out and it starts to rain. There's a battle. You sign into your emails and it says your password's wrong. There's a battle. It's even worse when you change your password and it says, no, you can't use that password because you've already used it. Your football team, they're 2-0 up in the 89th minute. They throw it away and lose 3-2. There's a battle that goes on. Inside us, someone puts lemon in a cheesecake, there's a battle. That's just me. But there's a battle in all of us. Whenever we feel wronged, or whenever something something happens that we don't like, actually, there's a choice we make in how we respond. And I want to suggest very, very gently that there are moments when that happens, that when someone cuts us up on the road, our brain jumps out of our head. And we just react in a moment of anger. And we say something or we, we do something or we make a gesture and as soon as we've done it, we feel guilty. Because we know we've said or done something that wasn't honoring God. And I'm not saying this to, 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 to condemn anyone. I'm, I'm the worst for this. I've said before, you know, if, if I'm sat at one of those junctions where you're giving someone else priority and I, and I sit and I wait and I give someone else, if they don't say thank you, they know. And Hannah hits me every time and says, They might come to our church, and I say, Good, they need to know. But there's a battle going on. There's that battle going on every time. And, and actually, it's just the reality of the world we live in that that, that that stuff's in our lives. It's just there in us, and we've got a battle to stop it becoming dominant. Paul says this: let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So you won't do what your sinful nature, that stuff that's just in you, you won't do it because you are letting God guide you. Because that, that nature, it wants to do evil, it wants to do bad, it wants to react, it wants to swear, it wants to curse, it wants to, to, to get people back. It won't, you know If someone hits you, hit them harder. Sinful nature wants to do that. But the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. And there's this battle going on. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So whether, so whether we like it or not, we're all in some sort of battle. And I'm being a bit kind of light here, but I know some people, your battles are bigger. Are far bigger. Are far more serious. And I want to take a look a moment in David's life where, where he goes into battle. And just to take some time to pick out some, some practical and some spiritual bits um, that's there for us. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn with me to, to 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 17. It's a passage we all know. Probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous, David story. It's the story of David and Goliath. And when we read in the text that the Israelites and the Philistines, they've gone to war and they're camped on these two hills opposite each other. And, And there's a bit of a stalemate because in this battle, there isn't any fighting. They've got the, the Philistines on one side of this hill that the Israelites are on the other side of the hill. And in the middle, there's just this empty, vacant valley that no one is willing to step down into because you, they don't want to give up their higher ground. And, and they just literally wait for each other to wait, make the first move. And so out steps this giant, this giant called Goliath. And he comes out every morning. He says, okay. And he steps into this empty space. He says, okay, well, one of you... Come and fight me. And and the rules of combat changed because in in those times they had one, they they could all just fight each other, but another rule of combat was basically they'd send one person, the other army would send one person, they would fight, and whoever won, they won the whole battle. They would send a representative and they would just fight it out. And it's interesting because the writer takes a lot of care to describe Goliath. And I I think it helps us just draw out some stuff here because actually giants in our own lives, there are some similarities I want to pull out here. And the first thing is this, that a giant is feared because of its name. This giant is called, if you look at the text, it says he's the champion. He's the champion. It says he is the champion from, or called Goliath from Gath. Now, no one else in the Bible is called Goliath, but but it's interesting that Gath is mentioned. Why does he mention it? Because if you look at the the stories of Joshua, if you look at it in Joshua 11, where, where Joshua goes into Canaan, and then they, they, they take over Canaan. It said that there are people, there are giants who were living there. They're called the Anakim. And when Joshua conquered the land, it said there were none of them left apart from in Gaza, Ashdod, and Gath. So, so the author's really clear here. He wants us to know this is a, a giant from the land of giants. But the name can also be... Can also be uh, you know, that description of a giant can also be devastating. This is Goliath. That name just sounds terrifying. And even now, you know, you say Goliath, and even now it means something to us. Back then it must have meant something worse because he is Goliath from the land of the giants, and it sounds terrifying. What about other giants? Cancer. For some of us, just the name gives us a shudder. Debt. Addiction, depression, loneliness, sin, shame, regret. For, for some of those, those names, they bring a fear. Those names, they, they actually they do something inside us and they start to fill us with fear. And this is how they describe Goliath. They say he's the champion. And the Hebrew is habenayim. And it's only used once in this whole passage, in, in the whole Bible. It's only used in this passage. And it's, we've translated it as champion, but what it means is this, a man in between. So Goliath was a man in between two spaces. He was the man in between them and us. He was the man, can I suggest, between where they were and where they wanted to be. Can I suggest that a giant is anything that stands between you and what God wants for your life? A giant can be anything that stands in the way of you being the man or woman God has called you to be. A giant can be anything that is blocking you from moving forward into the things of God. Second thing about a giant is feared because of its reputation. Goliath had a reputation. He was feared because he'd taken so many other people down. You know, when we look at uh, the things in our lives, these battles in our lives, cancer has a reputation. If no one had ever had cancer before and someone said to you, I'm sorry you've got cancer, would you be as afraid? But we know it's reputation. We know what it's done to people. We know what it's done to people's lives. Debt has a reputation. Shame has a reputation. Depression has a reputation. And sometimes as soon as we hear the name, it's just the reputation, that thing. It's enough to send us into a spiral. Third thing is this, a giant's feared because of its size. Now Goliath was either depending on how, you, on how you translate the Hebrew, Goliath was either six, nine or nine, nine, but they're not quite sure. Most people go for nine, nine, just because it sounds bigger. But just to give you an idea, um, the average man in, in Hebrew times was five foot three. So I, I've just shown you a picture up here. This is Robert Wadlow, I think he, he was recognized as the tallest man in the world. He was eight foot 11. So he was still about you know, 10 inches off what they think Goliath was. He was 31 and a half stone. He was a size 36 shoe. Do you know when he was, he, he hit six foot at eight years old. Six foot tall at eight years old. That's big. That is big. And, and this boy next to him is maybe just over five foot. Can I suggest that's how we feel? When we look at the giants in our lives, that's how we feel. We feel so small because they are so massive. How can I ever beat that? How can I ever be free from that? How can I ever even stand up to that? My addiction, it is so huge. My anxiety, it's so dominant. My fear is so overwhelming. How can I ever defeat that And here's Goliath, he comes out every day, he says, here I am, come and fight me. Come and fight me. And every day, the Israelites do nothing. It says this, when Saul and Israel heard the words of the Philistine, that's Goliath, said they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And it says in, in another passage, when they, when they hear this shout, they turn away and run. Goes on for 40 days. They have been afraid for 40 days. Now, now 40, just to, just to help you, 40 doesn't necessarily mean 40 in the Bible. I know that's going to sort of spin some of you out. But when, when the Bible says 40, it doesn't necessarily mean an exact 40 days. It means a long time. So this giant has been strutting around, unopposed, unchallenged, for far too long. Church, can I suggest, for some of us there are giants in our lives, and they've been strutting around in your mind for far too long. And every time you've heard their shout, every time you've heard them accuse you, every time you've heard them criticize you, every time you've heard them speak negativity of you, you've run and hid. And here's the truth. You can try to ignore your giant. You can can try and pretend it's not there. You can try and ignore the issue. And maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's something in your past, something you did. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe it's something you're avoiding, maybe it's a struggle, that you're going through, and and right now you're just putting your head under the pillow and trying to ignore it, but here's the truth, it's not going anywhere. Because it'll just come out the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and it will cry out the same cry until you deal with it. Enter David. So when we get to this passage, David is Saul's He's his personal worship leader, Um, and he's also one of Saul's armor bearers. If you go back to 1 Samuel 16, you see that, that Saul is looking to employ a worship leader, and one of his servants from nowhere says, I know a guy. I know this guy called David. He says this, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, and the Lord's with him. So he's a skilled musician. He is brave. He knows how to handle himself in a fight. And most importantly, God is with him. I want you to notice this because order is important. Order is really important because he's a son. He's a worshiper. He's brave. He's a fighter. There's there's a specific order to that because David's already anointed to be king, by the way. He's already been told, you're going to be king one day. But before David was king, he was a warrior. But before David was a warrior, he was a shepherd. Before David was a warrior, he was a worshiper. Before David was a warrior, he was a son. And I'll come back to that in a moment, but but over these 40 days, you see Goliath coming out in this battle. Where's David? He's at home. He's looking after the sheep, he's leading worship, he's praying, he's working on his relationship with God and one day he gets his, he gets, his father comes up to him and says I want you to deliver some cheese and bread to the front line it's the original deliveroo your brothers are in the army your brothers are on the front line your job is to go and take them lunch and just as a side note I wanted to do this there's a really powerful principle here that before God will give you the bag he has to trust you with the basket Because David was anointed king. We know what David's about to do. We know he's about to fight Goliath, and I'm sorry, spoiler alert, he's about to get a bag, five stones, and kill Goliath. But before he gets there, he's got to carry the basket. David was still anointed king, but there was a test he had to pass. Jesus said this, whoever can be trusted with small things can be trusted with big things. Whoever's dishonest in little things will be dishonest in big things too. And I just want to tell you, God has plans for you. It says in in God's word that he's got plans for you, but he's looking to see if you're ready for them. That verse we keep coming back to, the eyes of the Lord, they search the earth to do what? Strengthen. Who? Those who are fully committed. God wants to strengthen you, but he's waiting to find out if you're ready for it. And David knew who he was, and when you know who you are, your, your outer circumstances they won't affect your inner conviction. Because and, de- and then what God does is he's, he's, he strengthens David. He says, "Okay, David, you're committed to me. I'm going to strengthen you." And before David was a warrior, he was a worshipper. He knew who his God was because he was committed to God, and that's why he gets to the battle and he's not afraid. He hears Goliath shout. In fact. He's so confident, if you read the text, he's so, he hears Goliath shout, he's so confident, he goes up to the soldier and says, okay, what do I get for killing him? Everyone else has run away, everyone else has cowered and in fear, and here David walks up and says, right, what's the reward, chaps? I got this. he's you carrying cheese and bread. And he walks up to them. And there's a little hidden question here because he says, you know, this guy is defiling God. This guy is defiling God. So why haven't we done anything? Why, have we, why haven't anyone said anything? Why has this man been allowed to come out day after day and no one has done anything about it? And I love David's attitude that instead of waiting for someone else to sort it out, he steps up and goes, well, if you're not going to do it, I will. Because I've got God on my side. I've got God with me. And I say that because we see this in this passage, that, that we see David's attitude. He asks this question. Now, what happens? His question suddenly gets Saul's attention. I'll tell you this. Your attitude will get the attention of the king. I think we get God's attention by our attitude. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord search the earth to strengthen those who are committed to him. And when everyone else is afraid, when everyone else is hiding, David stands up. When everyone else backs down, David steps forward. When everyone else spoke fear and defeat, David speaks courage. He speaks victory because he knew who he was. And he knew who God was. There's also the reason when you, when you read further in the text, he says this, listen, I know what God can do. He says, I've killed lions and bears. He said, I've killed lions and bears. I'll do it to the Philistine. How did I kill lions and bears? God rescued me. So it actually wasn't me. It was God that did it. He rescued me from the claws of the lion. He rescued me from the bear. And what's David saying? Listen, the reason I can trust God in my presence because I've seen him work in my past. The reason I can trust God right now is because I've seen God be faithful in my past. If he's done it before, he can do it again. And church, the, the reason we can face our giants today is because we've seen Jesus defeat them in the past. We've seen Jesus heal people of cancer. We've seen Jesus heal people of sickness. We've seen Jesus break people out of oppression, depression. We've seen Jesus break people out of addiction. We've seen pe- Jesus break people out of shame. We've seen Jesus provide miraculously. And can I tell you, church, whatever your giant is, Jesus has already defeated it once. And he can do it again. but you've got to step out. You've got to know you're a son or a daughter of God. You've got to know whose you are. You've got to know that you're committed to God, committed to his word, committed to his ways, and you've got to recognize God's faithfulness in your past. Because when you recognize God's goodness, when you recognize how God has moved in your past, that gives you the confidence to step forward into the next battle. And we read that Saul is, is persuaded to to let David fight Goliath. And you can read in the passage, they, they try and kick David out with Saul's armor and, and it's too big, it's too heavy, it doesn't fit. And so David goes off to the river and he grabs these five uh, small stones. And, and just to help you, these stones, they're not pebbles, by the way. We all think these tiny, tiny pebbles. They, they reckon these stones were about the size of a snooker ball. Probably about the same weight as well. And apparently, I haven't tried this, I thought about a demonstration, but I thought better of it. But apparently, an average sling user can make a, a snooker ball travel over 100 miles an hour. Who wants to be hit in the forehead by a snooker ball going 100 miles an hour? And so David runs out to meet Goliath, and there's this big kind of showdown moment. And David says this, and I love these words, You come against me with all your weapons but I come against you in the name of the Lord. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Everyone here will know it. It's not by sword or by so, so earthly weapons. It's not by earthly weapons that God saves, but the battle is God's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Notice here, he doesn't give himself any credit at all. It's not about David's skill, it's not about David's ability, it's not about David's talent, it's not about David's weapons. This isn't even David's fight, this is God's fight. And when you read through, you can read through in, in, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, you can read these same things where David goes into battle and he prays to God first, says, God, is this my fight? Is this the battle you want me to go and fight? And God says yes or no and and and, and they, they move on. And we and we know this story that the, 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 the David swings his, his sling, he hits Goliath square in the forehead. Goliath drops to the ground and, and, and then David kills him by cutting off his head. There's no children him is there. Okay. And the Philistines see this and they turn and they run away and the battle is over. And I don't want to vote the band back up because we, we, we tend to leave the story there. That tends to be where the story finishes, you know, Goliath's dead, Israel wins, fantastic, happy days, celebrate. But there's another little bit in the story that we miss because um, what happens is, is David cuts off Goliath's head. He picks it up and he takes it back to Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine that? Your are Saul, you're sat on your throne and in comes David with a head, probably a bit bigger than this. And he's carrying it through your courts, through your throne room. There's probably a bit of blood dripping. And he's carrying this head into your palace. And there's this odd moment. David's in in the presence of King Saul. The battle's over. Goliath is dead. And here's David. He's wandering around with this massive head. Why would David walk around with a head? I think, I think it's this. David came back because he said, listen, remember that giant you were afraid of. Remember that giant you were intimidated by. I've got his head. So don't ever let yourself be intimidated by another giant. Don't ever let yourself be, be scared by another giant. Don't ever let... Another giant scare you. Don't you ever back down from a giant. Don't you ever let someone or something get in the way of you and God because this is a sign to everybody do not back down. You were afraid of that, and I've got its head. You're pleased to know we don't need to carry around a big severed head. But there is something else we carry. We've got another symbol, it's called the cross. It's the evidence that every struggle, every disease, every sickness, every giant, it wasn't just wounded, it was defeated. When Jesus went to the cross, he shouted these words It is finished. Do you know what the Greek word is for finished? Finished. It means it's done, it's over. That battle is complete. And I want to tell you, church, whatever your battle is, Jesus said it's finished. And as much as a giant can stand between us and God, Jesus stands beside us. He's our champion. He's our man in between. And he says to our giants, it is finished. Paul says this, if God is for us, who can ever be against us. I want to give us an opportunity this morning to bring our giants to God. Where we take a moment to to, to stand knowing who we are, that we are sons and daughters of God. That we know whose we are. And we know what God's done in our past. So why don't we pray? I don't want you to bring your giant. It might be an illness. It might be an attitude. It might be a, a, a sin. It might be a regret. It might be a shame. It might be an addiction. It might be anxiety, depression. But Jesus said it's finished. So, Father God, we come to your presence knowing who we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are loved by you. We are protected by you. We are provided for by you. We are healed in your name. We come knowing whose we are. We are devoted to you. We commit our lives to you. We commit to serving you, to worshipping you. We thank you for what you've done in our past. We thank you for the ways you've moved miraculously. We thank you for the stories of healing that we have. And we pray God do it again. We know you said it is Finished, and we speak those words over our giants this morning. Just with every head bowed, maybe, maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe you don't know whose you are. Maybe your giant is actually one of identity. You don't have that relationship with God, or maybe you did and, and you walked away. And we want to give you an opportunity to, to rediscover that. Or maybe discover it for the first time. So I'm going to pray a prayer that I'd love you to to join me. If you're just saying, "I, I, I just don't know God. I can't defeat this giant because I don't know God. Well, there's a prayer you can pray and just pray this with me. It says, God, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry that I've tried to do things my own way, but I choose to follow you.
1: I bring my giants
0: to you. I bring everything I've done wrong to you, God, that you would forgive me. And I pray you would fill me with new strength, new energy, new courage, through your Holy Spirit, so I can go into the rest of my life, filled by you. I believe you died for me. I believe you went to the cross and you said, It is finished. I believe you rose again. Thank you, God, for changing me. Thank you, God, for declaring over my giants, It is finished. The band are going to lead us in a song and it's just this waiting here for you. And I'm just going to ask us, we can stay sat because I want you to stay in this, this, this moment of worship, this moment of reflection where we say, God, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to move this mountain. I'm waiting for you to, to, to move this giant. I'm waiting for you to, to speak to the giant in my life, God, that this morning our giants would be defeated. This morning we would have new courage to know It is finished. So God, would you speak to us, encourage us, empower us, heal us, provide for us, set us free, we pray.